Coming up on Leading Edge. What we're not trying to do is the usual management approach of gathering information so we can then determine what the person does. Instead, what we're trying to do is help that person discover for themselves to get new insight to solving the problem in the way that suits them best. This is Leading Edge, a Henley Business School podcast. Welcome back to Leading Edge from Henley Business School. I'm Thomas Mason. In this second series, we're learning how to get our boss's job, how to keep innovating during a crisis, and why diversity is about more than just having a seat at the table. Joining me today is the psychologist, Professor Jonathan Passmore. He's the director of the Henley Centre for Coaching. Not only has Jonathan written 30 books, he established the UK's first coaching psychology master's programme. An experienced executive coach, he's worked with numerous clients, from police officers through to top executives and even cabinet ministers. And he'll be guiding us through today's topic, how to unleash your inner coach. Hello there, Jonathan. Hi, Thomas. Great to have you here. We're going to explore in a minute how we can all apply some of your coaching principles in our own life and work. But first of all, can you just summarize for us some of the main benefits of coaching? Well, coaching maybe 20 years ago was considered to be unusual, but over that 20-year period since 2000 has now become recognised by most leaders and managers as well as athletes as a really useful resource for them to help them focus, improve their performance, manage stress, have a sounding board, become more emotionally intelligent and more resilient in their workplace, work better with their teams and get more from their organisation. And is coaching just one of those things that is if you're the CEO and perhaps you want to take it to the next level? Or or is there a, some coaching that we can all take and learn? I think coaching is widely applicable. Clearly, for the senior team, the chief executive, company directors, it's a very useful resource to have a an independent, confidential space to explore, to think and to discover new ways to improve your performance. But it's also useful for every member of an organisation to have the opportunity to take a few moments out or, or to take a period of time just reflecting and planning to set themselves clear objectives and a way forward. So coaching's got a universal role to play in the same way that training has, helping people to improve their skills and performance at work. Jonathan's going to tell us all about how we can benefit from coaching. But my understanding, Jonathan, is it involves having a really good, intense, active, really deep listening conversation and then reflecting on what you've learned from that conversation and finding the next steps forward. So to be effective at coaching, whether that's a manager working with their team or as a professional coach, we need to draw upon a number of skills. The first of those is to ask open questions. Our aim when we're in a coaching conversation is to help our team member or our coachee to discover for themselves the best way they can go about solving that problem. So open questions are questions that start with what, where, when, why. What we're not trying to do is the usual management approach of gathering information so we can then determine what the person does. Instead, what we're trying to do with those questions is help that person discover for themselves to get new insight and develop a new creative approach to solving the problem in the way that suits them best. The second thing that's important that we need to be doing is really listening. We often as individuals think that we're listening, 
but often we're just waiting for our turn to talk, Thomas. And instead, we need to really listen to what that individual is saying, pay attention to their words, but beyond that, to listen for the emotions that are contained in that message. Is that person frustrated or irritated? Is that person happy or excited? And by understanding the emotion, we begin to understand the meaning. And then stepping beyond that, we also need to pay attention to people's body language and what they're not saying. What should they be saying that they're not referring to? What's the hidden messages in maybe the way that their eyes or hands or skin color is changing that gives us an insight to their thinking and their feeling? So when we listen at that level, beyond the words, we get a true understanding, an active and deeper understanding of what that colleague is saying to us. The third element that's really important for us in our coaching conversations is to be able to reflect back, to listen to individual words and to reflect those back almost as a way of checking understanding. If we're truly listening to somebody else, we need to clarify, have I really fully understand what they've said? And to reflect back. The next level are summaries. These are opportunities where the coach or the manager is able to move into a position where they're drawing together a number of the threads of the conversation, almost like a paragraph at the end of a chapter, helping that person to hear again what they've said, to then summarize the conversation before you move on to the next part of the discovery conversation. And the last element are affirmations. This is when we're reflecting back to our colleagues or to our coachee about how well we're doing. It's catching somebody doing something right. And we all like praise. We all like positive feedback. So when we hear somebody telling us that we've done something well, that builds our confidence. And through that increased confidence, gives the individual the enhanced belief they're able to then move forward to addressing the new challenge or problem that they're faced with. Great. Well, thanks, Jonathan. I will certainly affirm that that was delivered with real uh, panache for all of our listeners and maybe just reflect a little back to you. So I, I think there's five main steps there. The first, as you said, open questions, the what, the why, not just the yes or the no answers, active listening. Um, and, and that's one where you said you look at people's body language and then we can get in to why that's a bit, perhaps a bit more of a challenge than usual when the world seems to have gone to Zoom chats and video conferencing, but still we can look at each other's faces and look at reactions. Three, reflections, what's been said to us, and then summarizing it like I'm hopefully doing now and ending with ending with something nice to say, an affirmation. Um, Perhaps then, with that model in mind, you can take us through an example of somebody who you would coach and how you would put that that structure in practice. Well, coaching has real value when colleagues come to us and ask us what we might do in a particular situation. And the temptation, I think, for most leaders and managers there is to step into the directing or the telling style of leadership that we're all very familiar with. And we give our team member some instructions about what they should go and do, how they would go and do it, and when that task needs to be completed by. And that directive style takes the power away from the individual, takes the opportunity for them to be resourceful, creative, and also takes an opportunity for development away from the individual. Instead, we could have a coaching-based conversation, maybe drawing on something like the GROW model. And the GROW model is a very commonly used coaching framework that helps the leader or manager frame that conversation through four easy steps. Right. So what, what we've got here, you've got your five-step mo- model for the initial conversation and then actually working out what to do, having had that, asked all those difficult questions. That's something 
that's called the GROW model. And I promise to our listeners we won't give them any more models after this. And, and there's four elements of this G-R-O-W GROW model. Absolutely. So the GROW model, very simple, easy to remember. First stage of this is about helping our team member to set goals. What are they trying to achieve? What is their purpose or their objective? And often we uh, start with very vague objectives. Oh, I want to uh, do this. But we're not clear about what a successful outcome is. So the skill for the team leader or the manager is helping that team individual to clarify the goal. How do you know you would be successful? What would be a successful outcome for this? What would that look like? Describe it to me. Get some numbers around this. Get a date. So some real clarity about the goal. So that's beyond asking one simple question about what you want to achieve, but may involve three or four or five questions, really getting a specific, detailed, clarified objective. Second stage of the process is the reality. Where are you now? This is an opportunity for the team member to reflect on where they are, what they've tried so far to solve the problem, or some of the thoughts that they're beginning to have, or maybe what they did last time. So it's an exploration of the reality of the situation as they are now. And once again, the role of that leader and manager is not to gather information, as I was talking about earlier, but is to explore and help that team member to discover for themselves. What have I not thought about that I might have could be drawing upon or a new insight about what's going on that might be different this time to the last time that I had this particular challenge or problem? So once again, three, four, five questions can be very useful at this particular stage. That moves them on to the option stage. What we're trying to do at the option stage is really a two-part process. First part of the option stage is to generate different ideas or options about how that problem or challenge could be solved. Not for the leader or manager to step in and say what you should do is, but instead helping that person to discover for themselves, drawing on their strengths, their insights, their knowledge, and moving beyond the obvious one or two or three options. What the manager needs to be doing at this particular stage is getting a wide range of different options, encouraging that person to think creatively about how else the problem could be solved. And that it means helping them to think outside of the box, to think creatively, using questions that might get that person stopped in their tracks. Hmm, that's a really good question. And getting them thinking and almost giving that sense of feedback to the leader or manager that they are stopping and thinking afresh. When the manager just hears the same old story repeated, almost as I'm speaking now, drawn from that past event and past knowledge, you know that you're not really stepping into that new way of thinking. So the manager needs to try and get that person to think afresh. And there are a wide range of different techniques that we could use, that the manager could use to do that. Imagine how a famous or uh, a very important person would solve that. Imagine if you were Richard Branson. How would you go about solving this problem? What about if you're Boris Johnson? What would you do in this particular situation? We can think of characters. And of course, we may not know that person intimately, but we will have an idea of sort of characteristics that that person would go about solving the problem and gets the team members to think creatively. So this is the first part of the option stage, generate options. Second part of the option stage is to get that team member to evaluate the options. What are the pros and cons? And we could do that through conversation. 
We could do that by mapping that out, maybe on post-it notes uh, or on a sheet of paper, evaluating the risks and benefits of each of those options. And through that set of criteria to then make a choice about which option or options best suits the team member and would produce the outcomes that the team and the organization desire. So that then brings us to the last part of the four questions, four stages of the GROW framework, and that is the way forward or the will. So this is where the team members invited to summarize their plan of action and to think through when will I do this particular plan, what stages might be involved in it, what goals might I set for each stage, maybe milestones or measures to track progress, what barriers do they anticipate coming up? Who's going to hold them accountable? Who might they draw upon to support or champion them? What additional resources might they need to achieve that goal? So it's beyond just a simple summary of what the person's going to do, but encourages them to think more widely. Because what we know as psychologists about implementing plans and actions, it's very easy to identify a plan. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to go running every night. But of course, we're stopped by a whole host of real world events that prevent that plan being actioned. So thinking about those sort of barriers, the hurdles that get in the way, anticipating and planning for those, being forgiving of slips and errors that happen because they happen to all of us and putting in resources that would support and enable and hold that person to account are important part of the way forward process. Great. Thanks very much, Jonathan. Thinking then about those options, the different things we could try. I imagine at the start of 2020, a lot of the options being discussed in appraisals and coaching sessions were not what would happen if suddenly we're in the middle of the global pandemic, you were perhaps furloughed for six months, and then you had to work from home. And that's why you said perhaps the plan has to change. Have you worked with some clients over the last few months where you've had to think about how to pivot from what you were initially planning to do to something that works in this new reality? I think we've all been in that situation, um, not only in the UK, but across the world where organisational plans have been thrown into chaos as a result of COVID, uh, its impact on employees uh, and the wider economy. Uh, And uh, just thinking of a, a particular client that I'm currently working with in terms of their uh, their leadership team, they are involved in a manufacturing process uh, in the uh, pet industry. Uh, they produce uh, dog food and cat food. Uh, and clearly, this circum- set of circumstances has impacted where there have been a case of stepping back from some of their processes but also that food production process was seen as critical. So they did have employees in the in the workplace continuing to work, but they needed to then think about safe ways of working. So there were changes to working practices. There were impact on other employees who they needed to uh, have working from home. Uh, and that also meant a significant change in terms of the goals and growth plan that they'd put in place for their business. Uh, and for this leadership team, speaking with their marketing person as well as their finance person, Uh, It's required reworking of business plans, reworking of operational plans, and coaching was a really useful time for those individuals to step aside and to think, okay, let's just take some time out to start thinking about what the implications of this might be, to develop some scenario plans. Is this going to be something that's going to last us for four weeks, or is this going to be four months, or do we need to be thinking about this as the new way of working? This is four years. 
Uh, and of course, it's been a combination uh, of each of those uh, and planning for Brexit and how Brexit, or at least the uh, implications of trade when you're manufacturing a product in Europe, bringing that into the UK and then distributing to the world, how Brexit will impact on them. So coaching can be a really useful time out to think about and plan for the unexpected, uh, build scenarios, just have a breather from running from one urgent item to the next to think about what's truly important, what's critical for our business success. And when we look at the reality, what have you done? What's happened so far? As you said, it really helps if the person being coached, the mentee, can stop and think, well, yeah, that's that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Or this might be my option. Well, that's a new one. Um, but but that isn't always the way it goes, is it, in a, an appraisal-type situation? I, I know perhaps thinking about myself in the past, I used to think I was displaying active listening because I would almost replay back to the person what they just said and justify why maybe I hadn't done it that way because I, I did it this way and this way and this way. But what they were saying was a really good point. And, and, I, and I don't think that was always necessarily the best way to phrase it. And actually, just sometimes taking that step back uh, and just absorbing what the person has said uh, can be a far better way to deal with a coach. Uh, absolutely. And the, the role of silence is underplayed in the workplace. We think that we sometimes need to speak to persuade, to influence others or to demonstrate that we have listened. Silence is underplayed in all of our relationships and sometimes creating a space where people can express themselves and simply being with them while they talk, while they share, while they reflect can be as powerful as it is in uh, the conversations where we're holding people to account. Sometimes a single question with a period of silence is just as powerful as a telling off. And that feeds in really to being teachable as, as a mentee. You want to be receptive to the person who's coaching you. Um, what barriers or resistance have you come up in your career when you've been trying to work with somebody? Perhaps maybe it's someone the executive team has said, you know, this person really needs some special help or their mindset is not quite in the right place. How do you shift them to being someone you can really work with effectively and develop that initial relationship? Well, in, as in all developmental relationships, individuals want to uh, be engaged in the process. If the person doesn't want to be there, doesn't want to learn, develop and change, is a very difficult conversation to have. Uh, and working with individuals in senior positions who are narcissists is probably the most challenging. When the individual always feels that they are right, they're the best, they've got the perfect answer, helping that person to reflect, to consider alternative ways of doing things can be very difficult, very challenging for colleagues who work with them, as well as for the coach. Thinking also about the last few months, um, it's been it's been rather difficult, hasn't it, to have those direct face-to-face -face sessions. Does Do you think coaching works the same way in, in the Zoom world? Is it still viable or do you need to come up with a new model to make it work better? No, coaching still works. We're still having a conversation now. It would be a different conversation, Thomas, if I was sat in front of you and that we weren't doing this through a digital platform. But we can still have a conversation. It can still be a useful and constructive conversation that provides insight for others. But if we're sitting face-to-face, -face, I get more information from you. Um, here, I can't see your pupils. I can't see how your pupils have dilated during the course of this conversation. You're not giving me eye contact on this. Uh, you've raised your eyebrows there. What's that saying? But I want to cross-check that with how your feet are moving. 
I want to cross-check that with how your chest is breathing. Are you breathing shallowly? How's that changed over the course of our conversation? Uh, on a digital platform, I miss all of that subtle cues that help me to understand your changing emotional state during the course of our conversation. During our conversation face-to-face, I can also be using the distance between us to impact on how you feel and how you be thinking about issues. That's not available on a platform such as this. So there's a range of personal interactions, body language communications that we miss on this platform, but we still have the spoken word. We can try quite hard to really listen and understand and reflect and summarize those communication skills that I was talking about earlier and thus make some progress. And that's certainly better using a coaching conversation than a directive style in many of the challenges colleagues face in the workplace. But clearly, we also need to adapt the way that we work on platforms such as this. Having the video camera on gives us some more information. Providing just a little bit of space at the end of a conversation allows that chance for the other person who's been speaking just to carry on. Was it a pause while they were thinking or was it a pause that they had ended the conversation? When we're face to face, those speech errors where we speak over each other happen less frequently on a platform such as this because we're missing some of those non-verbal cues. We sometimes have errors. So a little bit of a, a gap in the conversation can help us. Uh, of course, the other element that's really important to us uh, is being clear about how we want to structure the conversation and the wider relationship that we have. So if the only relationship that we're building is online, that's very different than if I've had the opportunity or the managers had the opportunity to build a safe psychological relationship with that team individual face-to-face over weeks or months or years, and then that's moved online. Whereas if we're just meeting people online for the first time, it takes longer to build a relationship of respect and trust. I think that's a really good point. And maybe just a bit more, as you say, summarizing, putting a framework around that digital conversation. So when you have that slight delay and those pauses, it just gives you a chance to think where you're going. Sometimes in in the flesh, it is easier to sort of you find yourself talking over each other more. Sometimes that can be a good sign because both people are really engaged and sparking off each other. And I think, yeah, I think that is more of a challenge. Um, You mentioned body language there. I'm sorry you can't see the depths of my pupils. I've got blue eyes if anyone wants to Google me. But um, what tips would you have for the average person just starting out with your coaching principles? What can they learn about body language? Because I mean, I might pick up things from people, but I don't, when I have a conversation, I'm not actively thinking what's their body language and how can I analyze this? Well, I suspect, Thomas, you probably are, but you're not doing that at a conscious level. So we all, as human beings, are very skilled at reading body language, whether we're out in a bar and we're looking for somebody who's attracted to us, whether we have irritated or annoyed our partner. We might not consciously be looking for those communications, but they often in those situations don't have to say a word And we know that either we're in trouble or if we're in that bar situation I just mentioned a moment ago, somebody's attracted to us or we're attracted to them. Now, as a psychologist, I am paying attention to all of those aspects all of the time, particularly if I'm seeking to influence, persuade or build a relationship with that individual. It becomes part of that ongoing communication. But what's important is not a specific movement, is being able to understand how that movement relates to an intervention and to be able to compare that intervention 
with a baseline. So in any conversation with an individual, what I'm looking to do is establish a baseline at the beginning of the conversation. To sort of reflect back a bit then, we've got our framework for a conversation, open questions, active listening, reflections, summaries, affirmations, and your grow model for all our listeners. That's about a goal, a reality, setting your options and deciding on the way forward. The way forward for us now, Jonathan, we've got a a few fun questions that we're going to ask all of our guests on the second series of Leading Edge. The first of those is thinking about these few months of lockdown and the way the world has changed, homeworking for a lot of people. Some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. But what would you say are the three main things that you will take away or keep doing as we move into hopefully things getting back to some kind of normality. So I've been a proponent of using Zoom and digital platforms for a while. I, for a long while, I was using Skype, uh, probably going back five or six years uh, on a regular basis. And then in the last few years, I've been using Zoom. So I'm going to be continuing to use that as a platform, but do that more frequently. And even when I'm at workplace, I recognize that many colleagues see the benefits of being able to connect in digitally. So running more meetings that are both physical and digital. That's the first thing that's going to be important for me. Uh, The second thing that's been a real benefit, I think, uh, has been the opportunity to take a little bit of time in the middle of the day. When you're in the office, the best that you might do is have a sandwich over your computer. You carry on working through. Whilst in lockdown, uh, I have been taking an opportunity for a half an hour walk each day, uh, going out, not every day, most days, uh, whether it's sunny or rainy, uh, and getting some daily exercise, trying to achieve my 10,000 steps. Uh, And that has been a really useful way of ensuring that when I come back in the afternoon, I'm less likely to see that 3, 3.30 afternoon dip in my performance because I've gone out, had a little bit of exercise, cleared my mind and refocused. And the third thing that I think that would be something that I'm going to carry on doing uh, is setting myself a series of objectives. So during lockdown, I unfortunately suffered in uh, February, March uh, with COVID. Uh, At that period of time, I was quite ill and set myself some objectives for the year. I wrote those on a series of post-it notes, put them in front of my desk. Uh, That was March, April, May, June, July, all the way through the year to, to December. But two or three critical objectives for each month. And I've been working through those post-it notes. Not every month I've achieved all three things on the list, but so far I then carry those items forward and have made some real progress uh, on achieving things that are important, not just the things that are urgent. Lovely. So for you, even though you can't see the pupils of the eyes, we're going to use video conferencing as perhaps a way of building up those relationships. It might take a bit longer, but it's still going to have a role some proper lunches and food breaks, a nice walk and setting some objectives. This brings us now finally to our quick fire round, Jonathan. And I think you might know the answer to the first question. Just looking for a really simple one sentence answer about how you approach these issues. And some of them are slightly frivolous. So my first question, post-it notes or online notes? Post-it notes. I think we were expecting that one. Screens or paper? Depends what I'm doing. Uh, I uh, enjoy screen, but when it comes to reading a book, uh, I like to have a book in front of me, the physical object. Early bird or night owl? Oh, early bird. So you, you, you catch the worm, set your objectives. Is that right? Well, I'm usually up somewhere around 5.30 to 6 o'clock starting work. 
get a couple of hours in of a morning, always really good. Very interesting. Get you uh, ahead um, before the day. Well, maybe that will feed into our next one, starter or dessert. Mm. <laughs> Depends whether it's uh, Indian or Italian. <laughs> uh, probably starter. Read or watch? Read. Great. Tea or coffee? Tea. Outside the box or watch the box? Outside the box. Safe bet or calculated risk? Calculated risk. Ask permission or beg forgiveness? Beg forgiveness. Right. Uh, taxi or bicycle? Bicycle. Excellent. Uh, keen cyclist myself, so pleased to hear, hear that one. Uh, big picture or selfie? Big picture. And finally, vacation or staycation? This year of a staycation. Next year, hopefully, we'll all be on vacation. A really useful framework then for our listeners, both on how we can benefit from coaching, how we can be teachable, how we can get the most out of someone who's trying to help us, but also how we can then embody some of those skills ourselves, set goals, set objectives, have proper open conversations with good questions. So Professor Jonathan Passmore from Henley Business School, thanks ever so much for joining us here on this second series of Leading Edge. Thank you, Thomas.